podcast that explores the logic behind physiological birth practices and is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of, well, actually, a podcast by me, Margot Blackstone, and today... We have another fabulous guest here with us, Um, a friend of mine, at least on the interwebs, haven't met in person yet, but perhaps someday, and her name is Maria Mengel. So welcome, Maria. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. So I'm going to read a little bit of uh, Maria's bio to just give you a sense of her background and what she's all about. And then uh, we're going to talk about her birth experiences today because she has some great experiences to share and some wise words for all the indie birthers out there. So here's a little bit about her. Maria is a mother of two, wife, music teacher, doula, childbirth educator, placenta specialist, and owner of the newly launched Thrive Birth Services of Delmarva. She began her professional career as a musician at West Virginia University. After college, she spent five years teaching music education in public schools. Following her first birth, her life completely changed. She continued teaching French horn lessons privately, but devoted the rest of her life to her family and to birth work and study. It was only after her second birth, one year ago today, so exciting, that she learned the true meaning of power, self-power, the power of birth, and the power of listening to oneself and letting go. Maria is committed to creating a local birth community on the eastern shore of Maryland where women can guide each other in finding their own power together. She finds joy in sharing the influential lessons she learned in her two birth experiences with others, hoping that they, too, will find joy in sharing theirs. What an excellent bio. I just love you. I just mm-hmm. love what you wrote and shared with me and now what you're going to be sharing with us today here on the podcast. So um, let's start with, and it's quite an epic um, entry into this podcast, um, so I'm trying to think of an epic way to to start, um, but maybe let's start simple, kind of at the beginning, and sure. tell me a little bit about um, your first pregnancy and where you were at, um, who you had helping you walking along in your journey with you, um, what that was like, and sort of what you were hoping for with that first pregnancy and birth experience. Yeah, sure. I'm really excited to share these because I haven't actually shared my birth experiences in detail with anyone yet. And one of them was a year ago today, and the other was almost three years ago. So I'm they're long overdue. <laughs> time. Yeah, it's time. So with my first birth, I came from a place of um, friends and family only having, like, mainstream conventional choices, you know, birth in a hospital, all of those normal things, well, what we consider normal. Right. So for my first birth, I started from that place, but seemingly made unconventional choices for that birth, Um, especially for, like, the geographic area that I live in and my family, like, My birth center, which is where I chose to birth for that first birth, was nearly two hours away. Um, I hired a doula. I was planning a water birth. I was having, you know, solely midwifery care. And so all of those things were kind of what people would consider unconventional, even though I ended up straying even further from that by the time I had my second baby. 
Um, but yeah, I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy. Um, occasionally I had some pushback from my midwives at my birth center whenever I wanted to like decline testing or routine procedures or even to be honest, ask questions about them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I still felt like it was the right place for me at the time to birth, but I was really caught off guard by the lack of women-centered care or holistic care that I was expecting. And I felt like I was promised by, you know, by my midwives and my birth center. So whenever I first met my doula, I was only about nine weeks pregnant in that interview. And whenever she asked me in that interview, she said, you know, what is your ideal birth experience? Or what is your, you know, whenever you're visualizing your birth, what are you seeing? And I said, immediately, I want a home birth. Like, that's what I I envision. But unfortunately, at this point, or fortunately, perhaps, um, CPMs aren't regulated in my state. And so um, the legal system scared me away from a home birth. And I just kind of assumed that that wasn't an option for me. Um, even though deep down, I think that's what I wanted. Um, so I chose this birthing center and, um, I'm really glad about the choices, you know, that I made, even though I didn't make them the second time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I, that's where I started in that pregnancy. And I'm super curious just hearing you talk a little bit about this and, you know, um, meeting you after you had had your your second birth, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, I'm curious how you, you know, with a family and friend situation where most people were choosing mainstream things, how did you even sort of get to the point of making that alternative of choices? Um, I'm just curious, like, was yeah. it upbringing or is it just your inherent personality or what, what do you think made you be sort of person to make choices that were sort of outside the box from your well, first baby since that's not always the case. True. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that it was about a year or two before I even became pregnant for the first time that I saw the documentary The Business of Being Born. Mm. That's where it really opened my eyes to the maternity care system in the United States. Um but that and my husband and I, after we got married, kind of started making more like alternative health choices in our lives. And they kind of just all led me to really just kind of believe that that what I wanted was what was right and healthy and safe for me. And it just kind of felt right to be birthing with midwives and to be birthing um, in an environment that feels more comfortable. And um, it just felt safe and right for me. And so I went with it. Cool. Yeah. So you're, you said your pregnancy was pretty uneventful. You got yeah. some pushback. Um, and, you know, I think we talk a lot about that um, with the work we do at Indie Birth and sort of the way that that looks for a lot of women. Um, I don't know if you wanted to say any more about that or if you wanted to jump ahead to talking more about the actual labor and birth. But I thought I yeah. would up. Sure. I mean, some of the pushback that I was getting wasn't necessarily like, you know, bullying or traumatic as as I've heard other stories, but more about um, just kind of made me question what I felt was right for myself. And I didn't think that that was fair to me. Um, simple things like I, I just didn't really feel like what was right for me was doing some routine procedures, you know, in pregnancy or 
some routine testing and I had done the research about them and I, I'm a super research oriented person. And so I had done all the research, but ultimately made those decisions because I felt like it was right. And whenever I, whenever I was questioned about it or, or made to feel like I needed to be defensive about my choice, it ultimately made me feel like perhaps I wasn't making the right choice when just mm-hmm. five minutes ago, I felt so strongly about it, you know? And so yeah. it was kind of just little things like that, that like go on your psyche, you know? Totally. And so, but but regardless, I went into this birth totally prepared with no fears, no worries, no concerns. I mean, only peace. I um, I studied hypno babies to prepare for the labor and birth. So, um, I mostly got into that and studied that at the re- not the request, but at the recommendation of my doula because I had this two hour long drive that I knew I was going to be driving in labor, and so I thought, well, I've got to be able to do something in the car, you know. Yeah. So especially if I wasn't going to be able to be moving or up and moving around. And so I studied hypnobabies. And whenever I entered my birthing time, I really was completely at peace. It was a long and slow labor. Um, but it really was just completely comfortable and beautiful. I feel like I had the stereotypical hypnosis birth. I mean, very little pain, really gentle, calm, quiet, dark, um, as if I wasn't even having a baby, and then all of a sudden the baby came out. That's kind of just what it felt like, um, like out-of-body experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was the most amazing and beautiful birth. Um, it happened um, slowly, but I was totally okay with that. And whenever I look back on it, I look back on it really, really fondly. I mean, it was comfortable and peaceful. Um, my daughter was born quietly. She didn't ever cry. And I thought that was just the most beautiful and amazing thing that she just felt comfortable in my arms and looking into my eyes. Um, and the birth itself honestly went exactly as I had, as I had imagined it. Whenever I was visualizing the process, it went exactly how I imagined it, which I, everyone says like, it won't go how you picture, but it totally did. Um, and the birthing center sent us home after a few hours. And um, so I was able to, like, come home and rest and take a good nap in my own bed. That was really nice. And to be honest, during the most of the time that I was there, which was about three hours before she was born, um, I was left alone for most of the time. And I felt really good about that. That's kind of how I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be alone and quiet and without without people and observed and stuff like that. So, Yeah, for the most part, it was the most beautiful and calm and amazing birth. Awesome. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, I love sharing that story with other people, and I love sharing it with my daughter, too. Yeah, and how old is she now, you said? She is about to be um, 32 months, so she'll be three in, in a few months. Cool. Yeah. That's great. So then... After that birth experience, you took some time and then, you know, got pregnant again, which we're yeah. Now. Um, yeah. So Fast what? Forward. What happened between? What happened after your first daughter was born? Um, did you become interested in doing birth work at that point? Did you? Um, yeah. What did you? How did that affect you in the coming months and years? Well. I started a doula training about three months after she was born. Um, my partic- my doula uh, is a doula trainer and offered a, a training series about three months after she was born and um, invited me to do that. And I 
was hesitant because I had a three-month-old, but I'm so, so glad I did it. I actually had my little baby, like, nursing with me during the trainings and stuff, which was really sweet that she got to go through that experience with me, and we got to learn together. Um, But part of the reason why I was so interested in doing that is because um, mostly from my doula, who really had a big impact on my birth. And the funny thing is, is during the birth itself, I mean, she did almost what through from like a, a a fly on the wall you know would think she did almost nothing but to me she did everything i mean just like protecting the space around me and turning the lights off and recognizing my needs and desires and being there for me and validating me the entire time and so um i knew that i wanted to be do that for other people mm-hmm. yeah That's awesome. yeah but in the meantime um, like on the way home the next morning after I birthed my first daughter, even though I had this amazing, beautiful birth experience, 95% of it really was perfect. Um, I was driving home with my new baby, you know, and I'm sitting in the back seat with her in this two-hour drive home. And um, I knew for certain that no matter what, I knew that home birth was right for me in the future, And which is funny to even be thinking about future birth, like, you know, six hours after you've birthed your first baby. But I just knew that it was, I knew that that's what I needed because there were, even though 95% of my story was beautiful and amazing, there were some things that really left me feeling um, disempowered after that birth story. And, um, and I knew that if I had been birthing on my own terms, that they wouldn't, that wouldn't be, do you know what I mean? Sure. What were some of those things? Not well, well on the of course. No, that's okay. No, they're important. And so, like, whenever I arrived at the birthing center, I assumed that I was going to decline vaginal exams. My midwife assumed that I was going to consent. And whenever you're nine centimeters and you're, like, completely in the throes of labor, um, having a discussion about, you know, defending my choice, it just really didn't feel right. You know, I didn't want to go through that. And so... Um, I had the vaginal exam. Um, it wasn't it wasn't completely traumatic or anything, but it was something that I look back on, wishing I kind of hadn't done. Um, and some other little things, like whenever I was pushing intuitively, um, um, my midwife asked me to check me again. I declined that time, but she threw in the little, well, if you push too early, you could have push on the swollen cervix, and I really don't want you to have to worry about that, you know, that type of thing. Um, and then some other things like I'm a I'm a really super independent person and um, physical touch isn't something that I uh, appreciate without consent Um, and so whenever I was birthing my baby and my baby was crowning she had her hand on my baby's head and on my perineum the entire time and didn't ask but I also was not really in the space to ask her not to do it do you know what I mean totally so out of my very, very comfortable, amazing, peaceful birth experience, that by far was the most uncomfortable part was her hand there. Sure. And, um, yeah, and I I think if she had known that, I think she probably would have been like, all right, cool, I'll stop, you know. But it was just like whenever you're in that space, it's just really difficult to, you know, express those things. You just aren't thinking in that way, and your mind isn't in a place to be using the English language, you know. It just... Right. So I didn't ever do that. And then um, what perhaps was my biggest um, regret, I guess, looking back, is that um, I didn't make it very clear to my midwife that I wanted 
to deliver my placenta on my own and that I wanted my baby's cord to be connected to my placenta. And like, I really was really adamant and felt strongly about deciding when that separation would occur. But, um, it just kind of didn't happen that way. It happened really quickly. She kind of ushered me out of the birth pool quickly and was kind of feeling around on my belly and said, you know, okay, we're going to clamp and cut this cord now. And I mean, baby was connected for a few minutes, but, um, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like the right time. And she kind of just pushed my placenta out for me. And I just didn't feel like much of a participant at all. I was kind of laying in a bed and like staring at my new baby at the time. And I kind of a little bit used language there, like kind of said, you know, wait, I think I, you know, was the cord done pulsing? And she was like, well, you're, well, your placenta is coming out now. So we're going to have to cut it, you know, and kind of just pushed my concerns aside, which really didn't feel right to me. And, looking back on it kind of gives me a little, I don't know, tingle of unhappiness. Totally. You know what, what I mean? Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's a big topic, again, that we talk about. And we have, <laughs> In itself. <laughs> yeah, and and it's something I feel really strongly about, you know, and when we teach classes, it's something we spend a lot of time on, and a lot of times it's the first time people have ever thought about that. Um, Definitely. Like, oh, I should be in charge of that part too. Like, isn't that great well, and weird? And shouldn't yeah, we like... never talk about that part. Yeah. So yeah, what... I've met people who didn't even know that part was going to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, wait, what is this other organ coming out of me? I don't know. <laughs> but we so, should totally know about that. <laughs> totally know about that, and um, you know, I would just be curious, you know, as someone who experienced that and you, you know, wanted it a certain way, like what do you think could, how can we make sure as, you know, doulas or midwives that we help people sort of think through that part and how do we help them once they do know what they want, how do we help them get it, you know? And I don't think most midwives are having that conversation because if your midwife had asked you ahead of time, maybe. Yeah. I totally, I totally would have been able. Yeah. Right. So I don't know well, what I guess it just kind of starts with education in the beginning. I mean, if you don't even know that that's about to happen, you know, then perhaps you won't have much of an opinion on it. Right. Um, but um, just education in the beginning and letting people know the reason why this happens and the reasons why it's important and the reasons why it happens in the time it does and the importance of your baby, you know, getting all of his blood and um you know, what to expect, and then asking them in the birthing experience. I mean, I know it sometimes can be difficult to be talking to a woman who has just birthed a baby, but I feel like if she had just asked me, like, are you okay with cutting the cord now? I would have very easily been able to say no, you know, or I would have very easily been able to say, like, let's wait a little bit more or give me a minute or something like that. And I feel like I just wasn't asked for consent at that time. And I don't really feel like that was fair to me, but, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's a good lesson a to have learned. Totally. And, I, I, yeah, I definitely, I mean, even with other pieces of the birth puzzle, but I've definitely seen that, um, you know, in different scenarios, especially in the hospital or birth centers and um, just depending on the midwife. Um, yeah. Like that's a question. It's, oh, okay, time to do this. And so I think that's an important lesson for us to take away, even, you know, just as any sort of birth worker. Um, yeah, really, not making assumptions. Like, yeah, you should ask, you should frame it as a question. Um, right. Even things that we think might be more 
material because I'm sure some midwives, you know, especially once they've been practicing a really long time or whatever, who have it the way that they go, you know, it's, oh, the definitely cut at five minutes or whatever, and they don't think it's a big deal. Um, right. It's important for us to always, yeah, not make assumptions and, and phrase yeah. questions, especially a yes or no simple question. Yeah, I was totally capable of saying yes or no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I held, I truthfully held some contempt, I mean, for that midwife for a while afterward. Um, but I've really let go of it lately. I've considered it, you know, I mean, I totally was responsible for making the choice to birth in a place where there are rules and policies and regulations. And, I mean, I knew I wouldn't know my midwife very well because it was like an on-call schedule and I knew that she wouldn't know me and my needs and desires. And so, like, I, I take responsibility for for putting myself in that situation. Although um, I do wish that, you know, anyone who's a birth worker would, you know, assume that that asking for permission is just the right thing to do <laughs> in any, any totally. circumstance. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a great great insight that you have and I'm glad you shared that part of your story for sure. Yeah, thank you. So you went to your doula training and then what happened? Well, I became a birth worker, um, attended a few births and then got pregnant again. <laughs> um, and so took a break um, from birth work for a while, although I was still like researching and studying birth all the time because yet again I was pregnant and here I am planning another birth. But um, I will say that I learned through my first birth that the lessons that I learned were, you know, being a rule follower or being a good girl, as I was raised to be, was doesn't always make me necessarily a good person. Um, and I'm like, I was always like the straight A student and I wanted to always please everyone. And I, I learned through my first birth that following rules doesn't always work and it doesn't always make me happy either. And so I I just kind of realize that no one else deserves that authority over me and I felt good about the beginning of my motherhood and I, I, I knew that there was something more in my future birth experiences so the moment I knew I was pregnant with my second daughter oh I didn't know she was a daughter at that time I was really determined <laughs> to not invite anyone into that space who would give me advice of any kind or assume power over me or my experience in any way um, and I knew that I wanted people for my birth. I just didn't want an authority figure at my birth. And I feel like my last midwife felt like she was an authority figure in that, you know, in that circumstance. And I didn't feel good about that. So I knew that I just decided then and there that I was going to have a family birth or what, you know, an unassisted birth where I wasn't about to hire anyone. Um, and I know that the care provider who doesn't give give excuse me the care provider who doesn't really give advice just didn't really exist where I live and I just I knew that because I was a birth worker and I was kind of aware of you know what was available to me and whatnot and so I felt like what was right for me um, was to be home you know on our own with my family I mean that isn't to say though you know the hospital isn't the hospital birth isn't the right model for some people or you know I I. I guess I want to make it clear that I'm not like anti-establishment or anti-medical <laughs> model of birth or whatever. Um, and 
so, I mean, I attended my first cesarean this past week, and I really was the most beautiful experience, and I had a great time. And so I just knew that for me that um, that the only person who could acknowledge my needs was me for this time, you know? So, right. so yeah, that's where we started. And um, I don't know, that pregnancy was also a piece of cake. It was as easy as it could be. I mean, I didn't have any appointments. No testing, no worries, no complications, you know. I had some anxiety about um, about rearing two children, <laughs> um, as I think is probably normal. Um, we ha- Yeah, we have like a busy lifestyle and I, you know, I was worried about that and I had those fears crop up like a pregnant woman does and I'm a doula and have like tons of resources and knowledge about birth and so... I would deal with those fears by researching usually and coming up to, you know, coming to my own little conclusion about dealing with my fears that I had. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a great pregnancy. Yeah, it was really great. It was, it was (laughs) super, it was super great. (laughs) Did you find support um, from other moms making similar choices at all, like online or did you... (sighs) sort of fly solo what was your um not particularly I joined a few Facebook um free birth groups and I just I mean not that there's anything wrong with those because I knew that there were a lot of other women in those spaces that were finding like amazing support and answers and um I didn't feel right there I didn't feel yeah I felt like sometimes that um hearing other people's fears would trigger fears for me and um or other people's experiences and I kind of just wanted to not wing it because I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like I went into it without any knowledge or experience but um I wanted to just kind of put my trust in listening to my my body and my baby you know yeah yeah Denise for sure yeah well excellent so then how did the labor birth go well I had everything really went without a hitch. Um, I assumed that my birth would, or yeah, I assumed that I would go past 40 weeks as I did with my first daughter. Um, on my, on 41 weeks exactly, my waters opened. Um, I was laying in bed with my daughter who was still night waking frequently and it was 4 a.m. and I felt it happen and I remember that familiar feeling from my first labor. Um, and it was four o'clock in the morning and it was no big deal. And so I just promptly went back to bed and assumed that that's what had happened, but didn't tell anybody, kind of just went to sleep. Um, the next day, as I woke up, I was super excited, assuming that I would go into labor very soon. Um, there was like butterflies in my stomach. I, I picked up my sister from the airport who lived thousand miles away from me because she was coming and planned this trip to visit me assuming that I will have would have already birthed my baby right. and she thought well hey well I'll go in there and like she was like going to be like my postpartum doula you know help yeah. me with meals and my other daughter and so we planned this trip assuming that she would get here now you know with the knowledge that it might not happen but you know so I picked up my sister I told her we figured it out um we knew it was definitely my waters. I did a little, like, pH test, you know, and, um, you know, like, the familiar smell of amniotic fluid, like, I guess because I'm a doula, I, I recognize that pretty. So, um, 
and I was just slowly leaking throughout the day, so it wasn't like this big gush, but contractions really did start that very day. Um, they weren't consistent or regular, but they were intense, as, as in like an early labor contraction would be. So I thought, well, this is great. I mean, X amount of women, what is it, like 90% or something, go into labor within 24 hours. I'll probably have a baby tonight. So I was so excited, and my sister was excited to be there to witness that experience, too. She had no um, no previous experience or knowledge about birth, really, so she was just kind of there to be, you know, a witness, and I, I know we were both excited about that. So... Fast forward to the next morning, I woke up <laughs> past the 24 hours, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I still don't have a baby. I did my research, and I know I have to be in that 90%, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, so I I was a little, not frustrated, but maybe confused. Um, I did my research that very morning, as my, you know, my doula would do, and um, I found that, you know, 20 or up to 72 hours without induction is totally evidence-based. Um, and so I felt comfortable with that. I thought, great, if I get to that 72 hours, I'll surely accept medical care, you know, thinking it wouldn't happen because it was right. so unlikely because that's what the research <laughs> said. Right. So I was thought, all right, well, this is a nice space to be in. I'm just patiently waiting for my baby. And so my sister and my my daughter and I, we did some fun things and took some walks around the neighborhood and played with the sprinklers outside, and I was just trying to be very patient, you know, and yeah. patiently wait for my baby and trust that she would know when it was time. So fast forward to day three. <laughs> my 72 hours was getting very close, so I was starting to get really nervous. Um, I was trying to gently tell my baby, um, baby, I'm ready to meet you, um, and trying not to get worked up. Um, but just trying to be patient, but that became increasingly hard by day three. So day four came and I woke up past the 72 hours. Um, I had been up all night with my daughter who still was not a very good sleeper. So I was emotionally exhausted, completely exhausted. My, my research and doula brain made this really, really hard for me. I was on this complete roller coaster for four days, meanwhile contracting for four days. Um, and I was just really emotionally and physically tired. Um, so I did some rebozo sifting with my husband that night, and I have, like, some rebozo knowledge from my doula training. And so I thought, well, I don't know what's going on here. Why am I having these contractions and nothing's happening? And I'm starting to get worried. But... I knew deep down that nothing was wrong, um, and I knew what the signs and symptoms were of infection and whatnot, and so I was, you know, being careful and looking out for myself, but I knew deep down that nothing was wrong, but I didn't know why nothing was happening, and it just became, you know, it became harder as time went on to trust that this was what needed to happen and that this was my baby's story. Do you know what I mean? Right. Cool. So... <laughs> Yeah. How, so, what were your go ahead. Like you said, they were pretty intense. Early yeah. Just like I, random. Completely you know? random. Completely random. I mean, I would have like three in one hour, and then none for three hours. So right. it was just completely random. They were intense enough to make me kind of like stop and rock my hips, and you know what I mean. So like, I was putting focus into them. So it wasn't like I was just walking and talking around. Um, although I was just doing my normal daily stuff, um, but 
I knew that they weren't just your regular Braxton Hicks anymore. So I was starting to feel like, okay, what's going on here? And I was trying to evaluate it from my doula brain instead of just kind of staying in my space of, you know, being patient. But that evening on day four, my husband and I did some, I taught him how to do the, like, the little rebozo thing. And I stood up after my rebozo sifting and I just felt better. I mean, I felt like I felt like my baby kind of fall into place and everything about my abdomen and uterus just felt right as if like there was a weird positioning thing or I don't even know what it was, to be honest, Margot. It just felt better. And so I thought to myself, all right, well, I didn't sleep at all. I was going on like 24 hours without sleep because my daughter had been up all night. And so I thought, well, all right, I will. I'm totally giving in to this experience and I'm letting go and I'm going to go to sleep and hopefully get a great night's sleep. My husband had promised to be on baby duty that next night and I thought I'm going to wake up and I bet I'll go into labor tomorrow, you know. But just a couple hours later, I was in active labor without sleep. So, (laughs) so, (laughs) yeah, darn. So that kind of happened and that was a very exhausting experience. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad that I continued to trust that intuition. And even though I birthed my baby, my baby five days after my water started leaking, it really was like a really fast six-hour active labor, and it was so hard. Yeah, I had this I had this like perception of all labor and birth that was undisturbed being like my beautiful first birth, my calm and peaceful, like, oh, I just pushed a baby out birth. So I thought, oh, well, duh, that's how I'm going to birth the second time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was really wrong. <laughs> so that caught me off guard. Um, it was a million times harder than that first birth, but it really, truly was really healing. And my sister was there who had never seen a birth before and had like no knowledge of the birth process. And I thought, going into it like hmm, maybe this isn't the best idea to have her here because I don't know what her reaction will be I don't know how she will you know she might be fearful um as it turns out she was like the best doula of all of the untrained and uneducated doulas that ever existed um she did exactly what I needed I mean she just held my hand um and she kept her voice calm and steady and happy and she totally let me take the lead and my husband was there of course too and they both were just this amazing witnesses and gave me what I needed which ultimately in this time was just somebody's hand to hold and it was amazing so yeah no one was giving me advice or touching me unless I asked them to I didn't feel nearly as observed as I did the first time the first time I literally had a flashlight pointing down into a mirror in the water, which was pointing back up at the reflection of my baby crowning, which I know why they do that. But, I mean, it just felt kind of awkward that everyone was looking at my Volvo with a flashlight except me. You know, it just felt really weird. So, but this time, none of that was happening. It was dark. I didn't feel observed. And I birthed my baby on my own terms in my own time with my own hands and um I I felt a lot better about that which and then afterward I completely birthed my placenta all by myself which really was without a doubt the most healing part of that birth. That's awesome. Yeah. Just that definitely. You, don't hear a lot, you know, again no. talk about even in sort of the natural birth world. So that's a really awesome Thing, I feel like for people who are listening to hear like how how important that can be and um, yeah yeah that's awesome <sighs> so I guess like 
looking back on them, the two births have really changed my life. I mean, I learned so much through both of them. With my first birth, I learned not to give my own power away. And I learned that to use that truth in everything in my life, and not just with my pregnancy and birth. I mean, just with everything. I've started to take a lot more responsibility and authority over me and my body and my family, and I I think we're all better off for it. Um, And then in my second birth, I learned the hard way how to trust my intuition. (laughs) Seriously, those were a long five days. And, I mean, truly, I used to be all, oh, evidence-based care, evidence-based decisions for your birthing time. Now I'm like, blah, 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 because the evidence ran out after 72 hours. And I totally, I still had a decision to make. And my baby and my body told me we were good. And so I just went with it. And um, I still do look up the evidence all the time. And, I mean, I'm a research nerd, so I don't base my life on, but I just, yeah, I just don't base my life on studies and numbers anymore. And I've made a kind of conscious effort ever since to make as many decisions as possible in my life to be intuitive decisions. And I really feel like I'm happier and I trust myself now. Beautiful. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't think I have come up with the title for this episode of the podcast, but now I kind of want to call it When the Evidence Runs Out, because that's such a good point. You know, we only have I love it. so much information. We only have so many studies, and um, even yeah. I think ACOG came out recently with a position statement on some, I don't remember. I mean, I pay very little attention to what they're doing, honestly, but <laughs> I did read it, and it was interesting, and they in there said, Oh, it was on client consent and what to do when um, mm-hmm. mom, I read that. Yeah, when a mom yeah. declines consent for what they consider a medically indicated blah blah blah, and like um, you know what we're supposed what they're supposed to do with that, and you know even they say, well, you're supposed to still honor the mother, but um, and they said in the piece, and you read it, you know that their knowledge is limited. They don't have, we don't have the full scope. Um, we don't have the full picture. We don't even have, right. we have no idea how much we know or don't know. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I'm also really into researching and um, it's hard. Yeah. The puzzle and when you're, yeah, it's hard. And um, so I, I love that you said that. And, you know, in my experience um, with my story, um, you know, I definitely was outside of like the, yeah, considered best practices but again there's such little information and um yeah the the evidence can't ever get to the the amount of detail that would be applicable to you because you know um if you're a healthy well-fed well-nourished woman who's not you know uh, who's who's observing all like the good hygiene protocols once your water's open like there is like no, there is no one who is willing to go five days for the study. Right, you know, true. Let's teach on that even. So that me, maybe. How would <laughs> you ever know? You know, as opposed to someone whose water breaks because they had an infection of some kind, or um, right. You know, it's just there's so many variables that you can't. Yeah, and then when we get right. to this sort of boundary of where the knowledge is, like you're saying, you hit your 72 hours, and you're like, well, crap. Now they haven't. They haven't. They don't have any information for me about this. Yeah, and, and I think that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
whenever I read that same ACOG thing that they put out, I think that what struck me as most um, powerful in that is that it, I think it was even written, now I'm paraphrasing, so don't quote me, but it was written that it is unethical to persuade a woman otherwise. Right. Um, you know, and but I feel like I, in, even in my own experience with my first birth, experienced that with midwives, not even OBs, um, and I hear about it all the time. So, I mean, it's completely unethical to try to persuade someone one way or the other. Um, it's not supporting them and it's not giving them, um, you know, um, resources or supplements to try to persuade someone to do something that you think that they should do. It's just, I just don't feel like it's fair to women and fair to each other to be doing that and fair to our babies, that's for sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's a fabulous story. I had one question, and then yes. before we wrap up here, did you do hypnobabies with your second birth? Well, after my second birth, as soon as my baby came out, I looked at my husband and said, I should have done that effing hypnobabies. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is no. I mean, I had a I had a toddler running around, and so hypnobabies does take some time, and and um, I just didn't really have the time to do it. But I immediately after my birth regretted it. But looking back on it, I truly don't regret it anymore. I mean, I explained that my first birth felt very out-of-body experience. My second birth felt the complete opposite. I felt very present and in my body. And while that made it much more difficult and much more intense, I'm so glad to look back on that experience because I felt so much more in control. And yeah. even though... I mean, truly, I wasn't in control. I let go of control, but in that same sense, I was in control of letting go. Do you know what I mean? And it just felt so much better, even though it was so much more intense. So I know in the future I probably won't be doing that again. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I won't be doing hypnobabies again. But I, I appreciated my first birth experience because it really was so calm and beautiful. So I have two really differing experiences to look back on, and I love that. Yeah. Well. Before we say goodbye, I was just wondering, like, if you, it's hard because, you know, how do you ever sum up all this stuff, but <laughs> could just give, like, one or two pieces of advice to people who are listening, um, what would what would you say to them? Since yeah, are... sure. <laughs> I hope they're listening. Um, I suppose my goal in sharing these particular stories would just to be encourage other women to listen to their intuition and to use their tools to guide how they want to be treated in their birth and then to recognize that nothing else really matters. I mean, really nothing else matters, just you and your baby. And taking responsibility for your birth doesn't have to mean an unassisted home birth like I experienced. Um, but no one else will take that responsibility for you. And so they especially won't do it from a place of love. I mean, we're really the only ones qualified to decide what's right for us and for our babies. And so my life's goal, I feel like now, is to share the space and create or share my stories and create a space in my local community and with friends and family for women to have more options and resources and so that they can recognize their their own intuition and recognize their own power and, and like, totally take hold of it and, and run with it because it feels really good. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Maria, for being here today with me. And Thank you. Perhaps we can do this again sometime. And, Please. Um, so grateful for you coming on and talking about your birth. Um, yeah, so me too. Yeah. So for those of you listening, 
um, you know, listen in again and check out what we're doing at IndieBirth.com. Uh, we've been doing lots of fun things lately, different uh, social media stuff, um, some live events on Facebook for people to, to check out. Um, and as always, we're reachable by email, margo at IndieBirth.com or marin at IndieBirth.com, and we love to hear from you and get feedback and um, ideas for new resources that people are looking for. Um, so... So, yeah, get in touch and keep listening. And, um, yeah, we'll see you around. Thanks, everyone.